Driving it home with Patty Vasquez, Patty Vasquez. From global conflicts to greenhouse gases, the folks refusing to wear masks says, and politicians getting caught grabbing asses says, she's driving it home with Patty Vasquez. It is a beautiful, well, oh, well, it's a little chilly out, but it's a beautiful and sunny day today in Chicago, and it was certainly the day to uh, remember the sunshine that Lynn Bremer brought to so many people's lives. I, if, if you did not get a chance to hear Joan Esposito at the beginning of her show, what a wonderful tribute, uh, beautiful conversations, and uh, I was also listening, perhaps, to another station that was uh, uh, running a lot of great stories, including some essays that Lynn Bremer read on the air, and one thing that jumped out at me, uh, he He'd been asked by a little girl, uh, what does it take to be a Lynn Bremer? And he reflected on his life, on his childhood of listening to uh, vinyl records on a red, a cherry red uh, record player and, and talked about dreaming about meeting the Beatles and just a, just really wonderful memories. The thing that jumped out at me was he said, you know, I never saw the idea that if something's never been done before, that that was a prohibition that that was an invitation. And I think that's something that we can all take with us. Uh, just a really uh, incredible impact on so many people's lives. And uh, I'm just uh, grateful to have uh, grown up in a city with uh, a radio personality, an iconic radio personality, and, a, and an inspiration to so many of us. And I know that uh, our good friend Tim Hogan is a transplant here. I've been hearing, I mean, do you, you guys had like, did you grow up with like radio hosts that come, oh, to, yeah. to, come to mind? Like for us, it's like Jonathan Brandmeier and Lynn yep. Bremer and, uh, you know, Steve Dahl. And, and Gary, all these the people from my childhood are still on the radio. Dave Ryan, KDWB. Oh, like it's like you know, it's a um, Chad Hartman, WCCO. Like it's um, it's a it's a whole bunch of them who are there for such a long time that they become yeah. such huge institutions. Um, we, we have one of your guys. Did you ever listen to Steve Cochran? Because he's on uh, yeah, another I, station yeah. in the mornings yeah, here right, now. Right. And I know he was a uh, he was big. He I mean some for some people in radio it, they move around a lot, but mm-hmm. then people who stay they are part of the background of your life almost. Totally right. You get in your car, you turn on the radio, they're there yeah. wherever you're going. Did you listen to a lot of talk radio, more music radio? Cause, uh, a, a mix. I mean, yeah. you know, my dad's always like listening to sports radio, so I got like sports radio background. I was like an angsty teenager driving around. I would listen to well, you know. You had CD, CDs, and then sure. the, then the iPod came out and changed everything. Uh, but yeah. you would listen to, uh, you know, like KDWB was my station, or like The Current, which was our um, uh, NPR uh, music station. Um, and yeah, you just get to know people that way. Yeah, it becomes intimate because it is it's such a close relationship because this is this conversation, mm-hmm. you know, becomes part of people's lives. And I know you've also worked all over the country. You lived for a while in D.C. Yeah. You've worked on campaigns all over the country. Uh, how does uh, our campaign, our mayoral campaign, uh, stack up against uh, situations you've found yourself in the past? It's so different. <laughs> it's so different. And it's because I think my background is in, you know, different p- p- parts of government. I've done local government. I've done like state. Senate, state legislative races. I've done presidential campaigns, congressional campaigns, senatorial campaigns, issue-oriented campaigns. This is really my first, like, deep municipal election, uh-huh. and it is crazy. Like, it is it is wild. Um, even just, you know, reading the news uh, and, and, and what, it, like, the, the characters and how they interact with each other, there's, I mean, like, you know, the uh, alderman who, like, accidentally shot himself and then was like, I don't know that I'm going to support Lori Lightfoot anymore because she's didn't call me. And then he accidentally shot himself again. His and, daughter. And, no, no. Oh, so he accidentally shot his daughter. 
I just um, in, a firearms, then, in a firearms class, uh, safety class. Yes. And then she goes up to him in the city council chambers, and this clip that comes with this, like, I'm just want a record here that I'm talking to you. And it, you know, I will say, like in Minneapolis, it was not. Uh, I did not pay as much close attention. It's a smaller city. Uh, even just the. You know the the mayor being up in front of the city council and the raucousness of yeah. that situation is is just pretty wild. It's just like out of control situation, but it is just the nature of the beast here, and um, it's just very interesting. And you have you have you have so many people running, and it feels like a throwback to the Democratic debates because it's like these nine candidates, and I'm like, oh man, yeah. okay, so everyone's got. 45 seconds to answer the question, and that's not enough time, which I will say the format that we're going to do on Thursday gives people a little more time. Sure. We were doing two panels, right? Uh, so you get a minute and 15 seconds to answer a question, so hopefully a little deeper explanation um, and hopefully a little more interactive than some of the debates that I've seen so far. I think the debates have been good uh, yeah. getting people to lay out their positions, but there's not a lot of back and forth. Or if there is a back and forth, there's like maybe a snipe. And then the person's just like, ah, whatever, I got to answer this question about the CTA now. Interesting. I And by the way, folks, we, again, it's going to be this Thursday, yes. January 26th, and we are going to be, uh, we're going to be broadcasting the forum from the, from Morningstar Auditorium. Yep. We are going to be giving away a couple pairs of tickets this show. Uh, so I'll let you know the details on that, but it starts at 11 a, the, uh, we're serving people lunch, which is exciting. Yeah, we, we, love, a, we love a, oh, I have, it's four options. Okay. We'll find, like uh, chicken, uh, beef, <laughs> <laughs> vegetarian option. Sure. Uh, sandwiches. Okay. Um, Excellent. Yeah. I'm excited. Excited about that. So mm-hmm. it'll be on, uh, on Thursday. The doors open at 10.30. Mm-hmm. We'll have lunch at 11. The forum starts at noon. Tory Ryder will be holding down the fort here yep. while we broadcast this live. And uh, I, th- I, I don't know that any other have been on the radio yet, no. uh, any other for- uh, forums. So this is exciting. Let people know where to find the first radio broadcast Merrill Forum. And, uh, and I'm sure we'll have that available. Is it also live streaming on our Facebook it'll page? It'll be live streaming on all of our social channels. Excellent. It will be on Heartland Signal. You can listen there. You can tune into your radio, WCPTA. 20 a.m. And we're going to have really good political commentary around it, too. I learned today that David Axelrod will be our intro. What? So he'll do... I'm sorry, what? Yeah, he'll do an analysis uh, with Turi leading into the debate. Nice. And uh, we're figuring out exactly what our post panels uh, look like. But... Um, uh, former Governor Pat Quinn's probably going to be involved. Sure. Have some commentary. Very nice guy. So, yeah. Excellent. That's yeah. A, I'm very excited. I'm, I'm such a, a political dork. I'm, I'm just, I mean, I've told people this. I remember running home from school to see the Iran-Contra hearings, okay? <laughs> I mean, I'm a dork. Uh, so this is a very exciting. And, I, and I've been a part of these forums before, and it is, it's incredible. I mean, you know, I was telling someone, we have an aldermanic forum coming up here in this neighborhood for the 45th Ward on February 2nd. I'll be broadcasting live from there. I won't be able to, I don't know if I'll broadcast the forum, but we're going to talk to folks. They're mm-hmm. there. And I wonder how many people show up at those events because it's so hyper local, right? Yeah. You, you from have you have you seen the lawn signs in this neighborhood? The lawn sign war is going strong. What as a political strategist, <laughs> what do you tell candidates when they go nuts about, oh look at how many of the lawn signs I have up? Well, how do you try to manage I those just, expectations? I just like there's I used I've like gone back and forth in my career about like whether this matters or not. It's just like as you're as an organizer, as like someone who knocks doors or makes phone calls, like when you're starting on political campaigns, it's like lawn signs don't vote. They right. do not vote. Sure. So don't ask me about a lawn sign. Go knock a door. Go make a phone call. 
and I've sort of evolved to like, but they're just like kind of nice things that signify that like you're a real campaign. And there are some volunteers who want to come in and just grab the yard sign and go. And that's how they show their support. Yeah. And they put it in their yard. And it's a little bit of a permission structure for their friends to be like, oh, you're supporting this right. candidate. That's cool. Maybe I do too. And I feel emboldened to go put it out on my yard or whatever. Uh, and it does actually help. There's political science research on like particularly with like down ballot candidates. Okay. Just name ID. You know, they say uh, hitting someone seven times, basically, like phone call, phone call, door knock, mail, TV, radio, whatever. One of those is a yard sign. Like if I drive by and I'm like, oh, I I see Patty's name here. Like I just got a mailer from her or I just heard her on the radio in this interview. It tends to make people know you. And that is the first step to voting for you. It's also for the as a candidate. It was psychological for me too. Yep. Um, to see like places I hadn't even asked people if I could put a sign that oh, someone else great. had gone in. And the other thing was my favorite thing to do on the campaign was to flip a, a, a lawn. Was oh. to see the opponents because you get lawn to go signs. out there and burn the other sign well, and put yours. I'm just well, kidding. yeah, right. No, what I would do is I go up. I would go introduce myself and say, "Hey." And a couple things would happen. One, they didn't know that I was running, and and once they heard my story, flipped. Right, mm-hmm. almost. I would say uh, probably eighty. I was batting eighty percent. Like wow. I guess eight hundred. If I'm saying batting, um, but the other thing that I found out was that there are some people that would wake up in the morning and there would just m- mysteriously be a lawn sign on their lawn and they wouldn't oh, do anything about it. That's very weird. Well, and I th- we speculate that it's also union members who like if you're in a union, they okay. just assume and they drop off your lawn sign and yeah. you're like, oh, I guess I got to keep that sure. out there. But I was able to flip those sometimes. Too. Good. Yeah, that's great. But uh, yeah, it, but so it's psychological in the sense that it fires up a candidate to go, OK, yeah. You know, and if, of, of the million things that a candidate focuses focuses on and as a as a staffer you're like please stop asking me about this like, yeah i didn't ask him. <laughs> but it is no and that is not yeah. not not a, not a commentary to you but it is it is one of those things that like yes if you can just get that fixed and good and they see it it's like one of those things on the list yeah. that you're like i know they're not going to ask me about this right like they saw some signs great yeah, exactly yeah. The other, well the thing the number one thing that it, it's all the things that you talked about but that gets powered by money and mm-hmm. it's very hard for me to explain to candidates uh, especially these races in chicago that if you don't think if you're not confident you can you can raise. Yeah. I recommend a hundred thousand for any of these races. These, the aldermanic, obviously, more than that for yeah. a mayoral race, because for the exact reason you mentioned, the call, the text, the digital ads, yeah. the lawn signs, the mailers. Uh, but it's really hard. People yeah. get really like they get digestively challenged when it comes to asking, asking for, for money. money. You got You have to like so much of a, a uh, running a campaign, whether you're a candidate or a staffer, depending on the position, is like turning off your shame function. Yeah. And I don't mean that in like a bad corruption way. It's like I just you gotta you gotta be like to your friends. You, if you're a first time candidate, you open your phone and you go through your contacts. And you're like, okay, well, I know this person maybe likes me and would give me five hundred dollars if I really wanted and ask them for right. it. But they won't do it unless you ask them for it. Yeah. If you say. Hey, Hey, can you give me like make a donation? They'll be like, yeah, sure. Send you twenty five dollars. If you ask for two fifty, they'll probably send you two fifty. That's sort of the psychology of it. And you have in your call time staff, and they're going through, you know, being like, well, how, what do we think they would give? What do you think they're yep. capable of giving? When do we ask them again? You know what I mean? Because once they've given the first time, yeah, and they're invested in you. You give them an update, some some polling, like things looking good. Yes. Anyway. Yeah. These are these are the things that's it's very hard to communicate, and maybe because I was on the inside of it. 
that you have to get these some of these things done. Yeah. And but it's also if you you're asking people to you want to you want to be hired. Mm-hmm. And so if you're not able to ask for $100, $500, you have to go in and and help manage billions of dollars. Right. Right? Yep. You're asking for a very important job. Right. And you want people to invest in it. It's like and it's also running a small business and if you're hiring people, you got to be you got to know you're going to be able to pay them. Right. Yeah. And it is it is but I've seen, you know, first-time candidates and veteran candidates who have been running for a very long time struggle with that. Yeah. They 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 struggle with with asking for money. They don't like it. I folks, if you uh, there's a by the way, did you did you ever use Numero? I don't know. This is a I never used Numero, but I have been pitched to uh I, to switch to Numero I by a friend it. who works at Numero. Oh, really? Uh, I have always used NGP. Okay. NGP van. So Numero just basically kicks out the next number you're going to call. It mm-hmm. aggregates all of your information. It gives you all, so yeah, this is getting into the weeds for folks. <laughs> but but it, it's it's unfortunate part of it in order to, to amplify your message. Uh, let's take a quick break here. We're hanging because we're going to have uh, we're going to have a aldermanic candidate on at five thirty. I think that the next few weeks are going to be very easy for me to fill my time slots. Oh yeah. Because all of a sudden if you're like I'll oh, see hey. I'll see you later. <laughs> no, no no I got you. I'll have you on next week too. Uh, I'm actually going to be off next. Monday, are you available next? I'm going to produce the yeah, show right sure. now. Next Tuesday's good. Yeah, I'll be there. I'm going to do a, uh, we're doing a Plow the Sidewalks event on, oh, uh, on yeah. what, next Monday. So. Are there, I will save this for, we can save yeah. it for after the break. Okay. We'll, we'll, <laughs> we're hanging out with Tim Hogan, the executive director of, uh, the editor-in-chief. Yeah, the, executive those, editor-in-chief. Uh, there we go. Whatever you want. All those things. Tim Hogan from Heartland Signal. Follow the great work that they do on Twitter, Heartland Signal. Also go to heartlandsignal.com. Those are the same place you can listen to the show live if you start losing the signal when it gets dark. And also watch us on Facebook Live. Thank you to our sponsors, Kids Above All, European U.S. Car Service, and Monaco Brewing. More in a moment. The Hal Sparks Radio Program. They don't have to refund if the land gets oh, taken gosh. back. So no, okay. I think they are just sacrificing Russian soldiers for this Pez dispenser of Russian cash over and over and over again. They're reclaiming this land. They get paid for taking the land. They lose it. And then they get paid for taking it again. And they're not even doing the fighting themselves. It's grotesque. Hal Sparks, Saturdays from 11 to 1 on WCPT 820, Chicago's Progressive Talk. You're listening to WCPT 820, because facts matter. You're listening to Driving It Home with Patty Vasquez on WCPT 820. And we are hanging out with Tim Hogan, the executive director, editor-in-chief, all those things of Heartland Signals Newsroom, catching the stories that you might not otherwise see. Uh, before we talk about Tony Dungy, what are some of the things that you guys are catching? Uh, what are some of the things that are popping up oh, for you? Oh, well, you know, today, uh, we always like to listen to the radio on the other side because it's hard to track, right? <laughs> so it's like, it's not TV, uh, but uh, Representative Jim Banks, who sounds like uh, he's an Indiana congressman, uh, he might run for the Senate seat. Uh, today was on with someone, his name's Pat Miller. It's the Pat Miller Show. And Pat Miller made the point that if a young lady can hop into a car in Fort Wayne and cross into Illinois to get to an abortion clinic, oh, no. the fight is far from over. And uh, Banks said exactly right and elaborated on the fact that maybe we should restrict uh, your ability to leave your state to get an abortion. I mean, it is he's making the point that 
A, he's supportive of a national abortion ban, but also B, maybe we should be prosecuting women who, because they can't get an abortion or reproductive care in Indiana, that they'd be prosecuted for crossing state lines and coming to Illinois. This is why we need a federal, uh, just we need an entire blanket uh, protection for all people who want to have access to health care in every form. It's funny because I was listening to this this horrible, not funny, uh, it was it, it was jarring to me yesterday hearing, of course, the gun nuts talking about this shooting in yeah. California and see, look, they have the strictest, some of the strictest gun laws in the country. Yeah, in California, because you can bring guns in from wherever because we don't have a federal solution to gun violence. We don't have a federal solution to women who and, and anyone who wants full access to taking care of themselves and deciding their own future to having autonomy. Right. And it is it, it, like the, the word freedom sounds very funny coming oh. out of a Republican's mouth it when does. you talk about stuff like that. Yeah. You know, the freedom. But you can't leave your Maybe we should look into yeah. it. But it would only be women leaving the state. Right. It would only be childbearing age right. women that can't leave the state. Yeah. Is what I mean, that's right. how else you manage that. I have no idea. Right. <laughs> it's, like, it's wild. I just it's um, it's it's these people are also now I just think it's worth remembering this is a this is slightly different, but these people, and it's Lauren Boebert, it's James Comer, it's Marjorie Taylor Greene, it's January 6th riot defender Scott Perry. These people are on the oversight committee. Yeah. Um, you know, and we are in a situation where the Department of Justice is investigating classified documents uh, with President Biden. Is It is apples to arsenic as the comparison I've heard sure. between Trump and um, uh, the president. Or maybe the appropriate comparison is it's the difference between a hit and run and a fender bender where I then pull over and give you my insurance and, uh, yeah. you know, we exchange information. There were no, there uh, were never even any warrants issued uh, right. in Biden no, papers. I mean, no, no, none. And and he's he's been completely clear about it. But but that is the world that they operate in. It's, it's conspiracy. It's extremism. And the scary part now is that they have control of the House of Representatives. And whether it's Hunter Biden's laptop where it, whether it is classified materials, uh, they're going to make a complete mess. Uh, it's going to be a disaster. My guess is they're going to overreach. They always overreach. They always make themselves look wacky. And they're going to probably use the debt ceiling for some negotiation to go what they want. The thing that they want is like unpopular cuts to Social Security and Medicare. And then they may tank the economy. That's basically their platform. And also like women in Indiana can't leave Indiana. It is just a draconian backwards agenda and you know i um i think as we see president biden starting to make a decision about what whether he's running in 2024 i would say that he is um you know that is a pretty good foil of a party that he's going to have to run against when you're listening to right wing radio because i this i remember thinking about this when i was in my 20s and rush limbaugh was just taking off and i would i would dip my because I, I drove across the country doing stand-up so a lot of times the only radio you could get was classic rock or rush limbaugh like that yeah. was and and sermons right yeah and usually those those were the lead-ins for rush's show yeah and i just remember like how how does this why is this resonating with people? How is he so popular? When you, I mean, do you think about that when you're listening to these shows? Uh, it's like, such a, I mean, even as I've come to work at WCPT, right? Like the philosophy of why did right wing radio take off, right? Why was it? It's a very idiosyncratic story. And it really does revolve around Rush Limbaugh. It is, he made a decision at some point. He was a good shock jock, right? He is drawing attention. And at some point, he just decided that he was going to veer right because he saw that he could attract advertisers there. And so that right wing ecosystem, developed first and then 
you know, we we fell behind for a very long time, and Republicans in D.C. were very intentional about how they cultivated radio. So the Republican National Committee had a person who was assigned just to radio in the 80s and 90s to send them guests, to send them talking points. Everyone's on the same page. Um, they didn't always agree with the president. They might sometimes throw bombs at, uh, you know, the establishment Republicans. But they generally were punching Democrats in the face. That was their M.O. We never got organized in that fashion. We never had a Rush Limbaugh to launch us in that direction. We did catch up at a certain point. You know, on this station, we have Stephanie Miller, we have Tom Hartman, you had someone like Bill Press, you had someone like Al Franken, who was on Air America. And the reality is, when we had Air America, we were behind, but we in the early 2000s launched that. We had Al Franken beating Sean Hannity in ratings week after week after week after week. And the reason that uh, Air America ended up going under was... Uh, not because there weren't advertisers, not because it wasn't profitable, it was because the guy who was in charge of the finances there forgot to pay a bill. No! And two of the stations in huge markets went off the air, and it spooked everybody, and everyone was like, oh, well, these, this is not profitable, we can't do this, this is not. And uh, it collapsed. It collapsed. What? So it's a very idiosyncratic story, very personality-driven story of why we are able to – why, why we've st- struggled on radio, why they've succeeded on radio. And then also I think there is a, there's, there's partially the fact that, like, as, as liberals, uh, we are like, oh, yeah, I'll turn on NPR. I just want to listen to, like, two minutes of why the bumblebee is so important to, you know, Michigan. It's amazing, it's amazing <laughs> how much different their sound equipment is. And you can hear, like, all of their – like, you can very hear all the – yeah. It is. Yeah. I can hear all their saliva. Like, it's like – I mean, Look, I love my friends at NPR, but I, I, whenever I listen to it, I'm like, ah, pull away from the microphone a yeah, little bit. Yeah. But it's also, don't you think, when you mention the the sponsors, people buying airtime, those are people that are most interested in having conservatives, lower yeah. taxes. They want to get that message. They want to amplify that message. What we need is like more messaging of why Democrats are good for big business in a right. different way, in not that controlling way like Sienema and yeah. Manch, all those. It's I don't know how it's to make that, this it, it, it is. It is partially corporate on the Republican side. There's like corporate interests involved there, too. But the history of some Democratic radio, too, and going back to like the 20s and the 30s is very strong in like the labor movement. Right. Like a lot of a lot of radio stations grew out of labor organizing and getting messages out to union members. And, you know, that's the backbone of a lot of what was put out over the airwaves for decades. Um, And I think, you know, part of the reason, too, that we there's, there's vestiges of that here and that support is still here at WCPT. You know, we have a lot of labor supporters, um, and God bless them. Thank you. Uh, Thank we you, need them. Yes. Uh, but it is, you know, there was a recognition there early on uh, in the labor movement um, uh, in making that type of investment, too. Yeah, it's uh, it, it's remarkable. Again, I remember in the 90s, I tried doing material about, are we, we all have the same function of ears. It's just what happens in between when you listen to Rush Limbaugh, like that makes sense to you. Um, the other thing we were we were teasing for a moment, so I'm going to have the folks, I'm going to be the moderator for a town hall. We're not going to be able to carry it on, on the air. We'll have Senator Dan Katowski sitting in for me on January 30th. But Better Street Chicago has, uh, their one of their big things is plow the sidewalks, which is making our, our sidewalks uh, accessible 
accessible for people who have disabilities, people who are just walking, pedestrians. This city is is a, a very car centric, car brained city. I don't know how we compare to to your hometown or where you've lived previously with when it comes to yeah. cycling. I mean, this, the I don't know if you've seen the bike lanes, but I don't. I can't. Yeah, I no, can't. No, yeah. I mean it is. Uh, I can't. I, I honestly don't know. I was not plugged into like the who's responsible for plowing the sidewalks. Yeah, right. But I know, like you know, we always had to take care of our driveway. Uh, I don't. You know, sure. I don't think we had to take care of a sidewalk near us. But my question on that is just like, how many places is it the case that um, you know there is a funded program to do it? I think that's saw like Syracuse, Toronto, Cup, Toronto, yeah. a couple other places do it. And you know, the accessibility question is huge. You get to the end of a, you can't go to a get your you know medicine right if you're in a wheelchair or if you need assistance walking. If there's a giant bank of snow uh, blocking your way. We've been very lucky, and I shouldn't. I should not keep talking about how lucky we've been with the weather this year. Yeah, this has been. It's supposed to snow this week, isn't it? Quiet. Okay. <laughs> it, means it, it means I have to make chili every time we have a snowfall. I make chili. We may have a snow-based question. Oh, really? I'm not. I'm not revealing too oh, much. For, oh, if anybody's if anybody's listening, we have a we may have a snow-based question. Oh, we'll see if it snows. Teasing it. So, the, thank you for hanging out today. Yeah. If you can join me next Tuesday, but I will see you before then. Of course, we've got uh, our planning, uh, all the uh, meetings for uh, the mayoral forum coming up this Thursday. Tom, uh, Tim is very hard at work making sure that every all of our ducks are in a row. Yes. Right? Yeah. Yep. We'll see you at Morningstar. A lot of uh, personalities to manage. <laughs> I know. I know. Because, I, again, I've been in a campaign. I know what my campaign manager could be like in yeah. my, you know, my field, all the people. There's it's only lot. managing, like, 30 people with 30 different ideas. It's yeah. totally fine. It's fine. Yeah. And, and I'm just going, that sounds good. Yeah. <laughs> that, so you are the, you're the you're the best. Yeah. <laughs> just like, eh, whatever you I didn't say that. Nobody heard me say no, that. Nobody heard you say that. Yeah. No. No. Thank you, Tim. Follow everything that Tim and the newsroom here at WCPT does on heartlandsignal.com. Follow everything, everything they do on Twitter because you'll always you'll catch something you're like, what did they say? It's yep. a lot of that. Videos and writing. And of course, we have a, a, our writing from a, our good friend Dan Schaefer. It appears there are a lot of uh, great pieces that they uh, are real. You know, this is what it means to be locked into what's going on. Thank you so much, Tim. Have a great rest of your evening. Thank you. Take care. We'll take a break here. We'll come back. We're going to talk to one of the aldermanic candidates. Uh, we're going to talk to Ida Flores, uh, who is running. For, I got to find out. I, there's so many awards. I gotta. I should probably make sure I know which one. More in a moment on WCPT Heartland Signal. When you leave the office, catch uh, up with what you missed on the way home with Patty Vasquez. Weekday afternoons from 5 to 7. Because we have so much to talk about every day. Driving it home with Patty Vasquez. And as you would imagine, that would mean that folks want to call in and join the conversation. Only at WCPT 820. Chicago's Progressive Talk. Chicago's Progressive Talk, WCPT 820, where facts matter. Hi, this is Kirk Bankstead from the Minocqua Brewing Company, and I sell Choice Hard Seltzer, an all-natural grapefruit-flavored booze that you can enjoy for only 100 calories a can. A percentage of the proceeds of every can of Choice Hard Seltzer you buy goes to reproductive rights organizations in the Chicagoland area. Enjoy a light, refreshing hard seltzer this summer and support reproductive freedom at the same time. Now available at Dino's Cardinal Liquors in Gurney, Illinois, and Sugar Beet Food Co-op in Oak Park, as well as in Chicago at Jarvis Square Tavern, Rogers Park, and Garfield's Beverage Express Wicker Park. Please drink responsibly. You're listening to Driving It Home with Patty Vasquez on WCPT 820. As we uh, mentioned before the break, the uh, we're getting closer and closer. Actually, early voting in Chicago starts this week, and I wanted to check in with one of the candidates for the aldermanic race, uh, uh-huh. I'm a big fan of our next guest. Ida Flores joins us. How are you doing today, my friend? 
I'm doing wonderful, Patty. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be be back on air with you. I'm excited, too. And I, I called you earlier because I know you were going to come in studio, but I also know what it's like to be in these last five weeks of a race. And it's and, and you've done this before. How I would, First of all, let's start with this because you have an amazing story. Let folks know some of your background and what, what is resonating with folks when they learn your story. So... I, I mean, I, I was born and raised in the Pilsen community, um, exactly where, where I'm seeking to serve. Um, I had a very untraditional life journey that has really prepared me for, for this role. Um, I was a teen mom when I was 14 years old. My partner was 15 at the time. And what I've shared with a lot of people of why I would go into, into government, being an educator, a lifelong educator, and currently an elementary school assistant principal, is that education changed my life trajectory. Um, education as well as resources in the community that we had at the time. As a teen, as teen parents, it really came through when our parents got together, supported us, and we had some community resources here, like the park programming, our libraries, amongst many other things. But more importantly, I had teachers that really helped pave the way for me. And so I was fortunate to have earned a great scholarship, ended up going to Georgetown University and eventually Harvard. So naturally, I came back and, and became a, a teacher. I actually taught at my old high school, Benito Juarez, um, and then continue on the trajectory of being a school leader. And here is where I've seen the intersection of government, politics, city, and, and you know, education sort of come together. And that's really what has motivated me to, to want to be, um, you know, in this role of serving as a council member. I think we need to have more individuals who have those lived experiences of being children of immigrants, navigating the entire educational system. Um, at the table, as well as, you know, educators and school leaders that can work across different stakeholders to bring the resources for children and their families. And you really are are so committed to your community. I know that we've worked together before um, briefly on your on your campaign. You helped out on my campaign. And then during the pandemic, helping people in the community have what they need, whether it was uh, food or clothing, making sure that kids have what they need. Uh, when you are making those connections with the community, it's significant. And you also learn even more than when you're on a campaign. What 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 would you say you have uh, have built since your last campaign? Because I know you came so close and I know how much of a battle this has been for you, too. Yes. So four years ago, we were only 237 votes away from making the runoff. Um, And I learned a lot about campaigning. But I think the four years also reaffirm why leadership absolutely matters. Uh, we need leadership that is effective, that's progressive, and can actually deliver results. And so part of what uh, my work has been was making sure that we were pivoting to provide resources for our community. So at the school level, it was ensuring that we had clinics, vaccine clinics for our families, because we knew we represented, you know, that resource, that uh, fountain of, of information and knowledge for them to be able to help them make decisions, you know, to keep themselves safe and their families. And that translated into my community as well. Um, we, we held food distributions, toy, um, you know, gave away toys, but just a way of continuing to foster community because we were going through, obviously, a crisis of isolation, um, civil unrest, so many different things. I've always centered on, on sort of my lived experience here in, in Pilsen, which is to be very communal and very community-oriented. 
And so continue doing work that made sure I was fostering that amongst that were with the food distribution, but also end up hosting something called La Platica, which was a virtual talk to be able to sort of communicate to families and friends, you know, how do we how do we pivot from, you know, everyday education at the school brick and mortar to how do we actually support our children in this moment during this crisis? So held a lot of time with, you know, educators school board members, researchers, on trying to navigate this based on what we were seeing in other parts of, of the country. And, you know, have utilized every opportunity to be able to continue serving my community. So health facilities was part of a fellowship with the Chicago Latino Caucus Foundation, where we were looking at specifically how do we actually impact affordable housing through some of the things that we have in place. Um, and so presented on a codstone there for, for the city of Chicago. So have stayed very very much involved and utilize sort of every part of, of my experience, whether it was growing up here, you know, receiving an education at these other institutions and just, you know, serving directly to families to be able to think about solutions to be able to help our family. Again, we are talking to Aida Flores. She's running for Alderwoman of the 25th Ward. And remind folks the community that, that you live in, that you grew up in and that you seek to represent. So the 25th Ward consists of the Pilsen Little Village and now Marshall Square and University Village area. And for folks who, uh, are, you know, know the areas, uh, they might be familiar with, with the idea of gentrification, right? People like look for those kind of cool and funky neighborhoods. They, they start out with the, the you know, and, and there's, there's so, much, so much great food in these communities and art. And, uh, and it, there has been places where people can go to live affordably and safely or want to live there safely. And then people start buying up this property. What kind of efforts are you, are you what, what are you seeing in terms of gentrification in your communities? So I think this is something that we've grown up our entire life facing, and we have to figure out how do we actually use the resources that we have to fight off against all of that. And that means we have to make sure we're increasing affordable housing in our community. There is, you know, we are having a housing crisis across the country, but especially in communities like mine, making sure that those are the things that we're working towards. The other thing is, you know, in the Latino community, specifically in mine, we our taxes doubled, quadruple in many cases. And so that that is really presenting, obviously, a, a huge concern for our community. My taxes went up by three thousand. And so we need to make sure in our in our community, we're actually bringing the resources, fighting off this unacceptable tax system, but also minimizing the impact it's having it's having in our in our residents by bringing about the resources and the information that they need. So one of the ways we've been doing that is when we're canvassing, we're giving them like direct resources to some of the local nonprofits who can help them with their homeowners exemptions, with the tax resets, with certifying any errors. Um, a big gap that has always existed has been an information gap. And one third of our residents here actually have submitted all of their proper exemptions, which means we have to be more um, more proactive in how we do their outreach, right? And so for us, it's been through this canvassing, it's been through the text messaging campaign to make sure that they actually have the information. 
to, you know, to be able to get the support that they possibly need. I think at the council level, we would, we should be able to provide some relief. Um, and, and that's, that's where being an effective progressive leader really matters. And then finally, the third point is we know that one of the ways to fight off uh, this type of gentrification is to support families being able to build generational wealth and purchase property. Like that has to be a part of the equation. And that includes, you know, making sure they have access to good union paying jobs and the resources to buy, you know, first home, first home buyers um, grants and all of those things that come along with. And so, again, I, I go back to sort of having a multifaceted approach. And the other thing that a lot of folks have uh, have talked about, and I heard Joan Esposito on her show uh, talking to someone about how we do need to get more of, uh, when you mention union jobs and a path for, for folks, and, and not just for kids, but for people to see other avenues of development of professional participation. You know, I went to, to Lane Tech and the trades, you know, they're... They uh, have they've basically uh, phased out all of the you know, the shop classes, the trades classes. They went to a lot of computer aided classes, which which made sense for drafting and things like that. But don't you think we need some sort of a, a, a path, a, you know, a, the ability for not just and not just in the trades, whether it's electrical or, um, you know, uh, all these other like foundry jobs or the, the, the things that we think of you know, welders and things like that. But the trades can also be in healthcare, right? These are other pathways for our students because college has become something that we obviously it's important, but it can be a huge undertaking for kids, whether it's putting them for themselves or their families in debt. What do you think about the trades and, and providing those opportunities? I'm thrilled and I'm super excited to be able to bring a, a lot of that work um, as a council member. And the reason being, I've, I've actually received a lot of labor support from Iron Workers 63, Operating Engineers 399, Teamsters, among so many others. And what I've said to them is, like, we need to bring them back. We need to work with our school leaders to figure out how we actually integrate them effectively because our kids deserve to be matched, you know, to what their talent is, what they're excited about, and what's going to make sense for them. And what better way to do that than with an educator who knows their students, right, who's able to say, hey, um, you know, based on what I've seen about you, like, this is something that, that I recommend. Um, that was sort of the relationship that I had with my, with my world studies teacher, who was the one to present sort of a school like Georgetown to me. He saw something in me and said, this is a place for you that you should consider. And I think that in our schools, we have all of those adults that can do that for, for young people. And they're more likely, you know, to take on something when somebody else is, is showing them the way and is giving them the support of how to do that. And so I'm excited, you know, to be able to be that type of council member um, and, and bring those those opportunities to our local schools here, like Benito Juarez, like Farragut High School, amongst many others. I agree. I, I think that's a it's such a great idea to 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 bring so much of the you know the resources, the, the institutional knowledge that a lot of these organizations have. Uh, in, in addition to that, you know, one of the I've talked to a lot of business owners who talk about the the very hard path to opening a business from conception to execution, the bureaucracy in between, the roadblocks all along the way. What what do you envision as someone working in City Hall and how we help with business development in communities like Little Village and Pilsen? And what's the other? I didn't catch the other neighborhood that you said was just was just uh, mapped in. So it's like Marshall Square Marshall. and the University Village area. Right. 
Right. And they're all very unique in their own way, right? And so I'm always very conscious of identifying each part of it. If I'm canvassing in Little Village and I come across a Marshall Square area, they're very clear in telling me this is Marshall Square. <laughs> um, and I think it's important, right, as, sure. as we're looking to create this collective of the 25th Ward. So how do you, uh, you know, as far as uh, like the businesses, let's say like on the far northwest side, there is a significant difference, as you mentioned, whether you're coming from Norwood Park or Jefferson Park into Gladstone Park and what the businesses are like there. What do you see as your role as an alder woman to help foster a a landscape that is favorable to people who want to open up a storefront or a small business in some way? So there's a few things. I I like to think about there's already existing organizations that are doing a lot of the work um, here in Pilsen and Little Village. And so making sure that I'm working with those different entities to ensure that the money that we have, whether it's at the city or state level, is coming into these these existing organizations. Um, Here we have 18th Street Development Corps. Um, We have the 18th Street Merchants, the Little Village Chamber of Commerce. And so I always like to defer to the experts and figure out where do we, what supports do we need? But then also, you know, you mentioned it at the beginning, we need to be able to deal with the basics of how to like navigate the city. And so making sure that we have, you know, supports to say, hey, what do you need? Is Is this a permitting issue? Is this an inspector issue? Is this a loading dock issue? Just the very basics of of engaging with the city to make sure that we're responsive, you know, to how to navigate uh, government. And then I think the last one is what we've talked about, which is creating these pipelines for for young people to be able to be part of apprenticeships or or business opportunities here locally. Um, And so I I think we we can, you know, develop a, a more thriving local economy if we focus on making sure that we bring sort of the resources that they need with the existing organizations and that we're actually responsive to be able to help them navigate city government as well as creating a workforce development. How are folks, uh, you know, what are some of the things that folks in your community are, are talking to you about the doors? I know public safety we'll talk about in a moment. That's that's top of mind for a lot of people. A, a lot of uh, listeners have uh, questions regarding, uh, let's say, public transportation. How is your community served by CTA, Metra? You know, because we're having a lot of issues with ghost buses, with uh, safety on those platforms, whether it's on the trains or the buses. What are you hearing from people in your community? So I haven't heard a lot about transportation directly from my community. Um, I think I've heard more from whether it's labor um, or other other stakeholders um, specifically. And it's not that it's not important. I think what I've heard the most from our community is public safety. Um, it's cleanliness. It's the basics of, of, of a thriving community at times. And so not, I, I think that I, I, I hear the, the concern of safety. And and that's happening whether it's local or whether it's on trains or whether it's on buses, but it's all wrapped up around public safety. Yeah, so what are some of the things that you see as the approach to public safety? Because uh, we're hearing candidates, let's say, running for the, the mayor's office saying it's uh, we need more police, more police on the trains, more police. And look, I mean, you know, there are folks who would like to see more squad cars patrolling. They would like to see, you know, they have a lot of different ideas as to what it will take. What are some of the plans that you have? What, what, what's your insight on this? 
So I, I'm approaching it from the parental educator standpoint. I think we absolutely need a holistic approach to public safety. Um, and I will go back to some of the basics of, number one, we are very much a fractured city. And I, we're experiencing it also at the local level of fractured community. And so I would like to go back to the basics of fostering a stronger community. Growing up in Pilsen, we had street masses. We had block associations. We had hoops in the hood. We had opportunities to bring people together. And you know when you have a strong community like that, you're less likely to have all of these incidents that we're seeing where, you know, it's, it's our young people um, not responding because we haven't given them the resources. I also think, like many other uh, mayoral candidates, it's extremely imperative that we start investing in our behavioral specialists and our clinicians um, and really investing in mental health resources. I've seen, you know, at, at a school level, I'm, I'm having more irate adults coming into the school building, you know, and I think it's as a result of, a, of what we've had in, in our in our society, obviously with the pandemic, but just, you know, the disinvestment that we have seen. And so I'm, I'm very much taking it as a holistic approach. And finally, you do have to work with all stakeholders. Um, we're going to have this newly elected police district council representatives who are also working alongside to make sure that, you know, we're building trust, um, that police are doing job effectively um, and professionally. So I think we have to work Work with all stakeholders to bring about, you know, a, a collective sense of public safety. Um, but it's going to go back to the basics of fostering community, investing in the work of uh, root causes and diversion strategies, and then working with all stakeholders. And you've been putting in the work and the time both as a community leader, as a mom, as an educator, not both. Those are, those are a lot of things that, you, <laughs> that you've been working on. You know, if you are, are elected and, and uh, I know um, how many people are, are in this race, how many uh, challengers to the incumbent? It's just me. Ah, I even, the third, <laughs> fine, you're going the head to head. Yep. We are going head to head. The third candidate has withdrawn and is, has endorsed our campaign. Um, we're running a very a unifying, a unifying campaign here because I, I think at the heart of it is, like I mentioned, we're very much a fractured community. Um, we haven't received the support, the resources that we needed, and we absolutely need an effective, progressive leader. And I'm really happy to be running a campaign that you know has a broad coalition of support, including the congressman Chuy Garcia, Senator Selena Villanueva, Alder Women Sugarza. Um, and, you know, so many different people that believe in, in making sure that, you know, we elect leaders that can work collaboratively to actually bring resources to the community. Because at the heart of this, um, Patty, if, if we don't, we're losing out, you know, on all of this potential and all this opportunity to be able to actually impact our children and our families. I know for me as, as a team mom, had I not had the resources that we had, the guidance, we wouldn't, you know, we wouldn't be in the place that we are today. And so this work is very personal. For me, it's been in, in public education and it's now making sure that every part of our ward also receives that attention and that support. And by the way, folks, you can go to uh, Aida Flores for, by the way, I, I feel like I say your name differently, your first name differently every single time. Can you say your first name for me once? 
Yes. So it's Aida okay. from Aida Cueva, the mariachi singer, or Aida from the Italian opera. <laughs> Aida! Aida Flores. You can go to AidaFloresforAlderWoman.com <laughs> to learn her story, find out about all the, the folks who are behind her campaign. You can donate there, get involved, volunteer. And uh, again, as she mentioned, a lot of a lot of uh, great endorsements, including a lot of labor. And uh, and you, Congresswoman Jan Chikawa, you have people from neighboring uh, communities also getting in on this, which is great. 40th Ward Dems, our good friend Maggie O'Keefe over there. Uh, really incredible. So I know that we've talked about some of your priorities. If you were, I, I heard, uh, I think I heard Joan ask this to one of the candidates she interviewed. I know that you have a lot of your priorities, but if you, what would be the one thing that you could hang your hat on and go, I at least accomplished this if you got into City Hall? What would be your primary focus? What would you want to say, I did this? Or we did this, because I know you're a team player. We did this. The first thing is we have to bring our community together and we have to have a responsive um, ward office. Right now, we just the basics of government and focusing here on, on the local issues of our ward are going to be really important. Like I said, some of the things that I hear is like, can you please make sure we clean up the community, work on this infrastructure, make sure that we have our garbage pickup? You know, it's Honestly, sometimes it's just a very basic thing. So I think it's going to start with making sure we have a responsive ward office. My son um, laughs and he says, Mom, you know, why do you want to be an older person instead of just being a principal here? And I said, you know what? I want to be the principal of the whole ward where you know everybody and you make sure that everybody's taken care of. And I think if we can make sure that we have a ward office that is responsive to the needs of our residents, we're already in a much better place. Outstanding. Again, uh, thank you so much. I know you've got a lot of, t- a lot of work to do tonight. Uh, early voting. Is there, I, did I hear correctly? Early voting has already started? Absentee ballots started last week, and this week is early voting. Oh, man, folks, get your, re- <laughs> get your research done. If you know, if you or someone you know lives in the 25th Ward, make sure you visit AidaFloresForAlderWoman.com. Again, that's for the 25th Alderwoman office. And uh, we wish you the very best and love to have you back on before the end of this race and uh, catch up with you and see how things are going and get, your, get the word yeah. out. Thank you, Patty. Do you want to let folks know about an, any events you have coming up where they can, they can come, learn more about you, maybe uh, be a part of the fundraising? You have, I know that you have an event coming up. Next week? We have a big event happening January 31st. It's a fundraiser, and we've shared it out. Um, But we also have a forum. On February 8th, um, Benito Juarez will be hosting a forum. Um, My beloved high school uh, will be hosting a forum with both the incumbent and I. Excellent. So it's February. Go, go to Aida Flores for alderwoman.com. Find out how you can get involved and the events that are coming up and, uh, and, and learn more about her. Have a great evening. Go get them. Get those doors, those, those, uh, the dollars and doors is what it comes down to at this point. <laughs> I know it. Yes. Thank you, Patty. Get the word Absolutely. out. Thank you, my friend. Best of luck. I'll talk to you soon. All right. Thank Bye. you. Thank you. Bye. Let's take a break here. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll, uh, well, let me see if I have enough time to get Roosevelt's call. And then I got to see if Scott's joining us. Scott Stantis is supposed to be on with us. We'll see. Because facts matter. You're listening to WCPT 820. I think we have to take another break here. Uh, we'll be right back after the news. And Roosevelt, I promise I'll take your call when we come back in just a little bit. The Rick Smith Show, live, weeknights from 8 to 10 p.m. Look at what's happening. The Rick Smith Show on WCPT 820. Everyone is talking about it. Chicago's progressive talk. WCPT 820, Chicago's progressive talk, where facts matter. 
Patty Vasquez is taking your calls now at 773-763-9278. Driving it home with Patty Vasquez now on WCPT 820. I am taking your calls, and Roosevelt's been hanging in there for a bit. Roosevelt, this goes all the way back to our conversation about uh, Rush Limbaugh and uh, conservative radio and the explosion of uh, conservative radio in the 80s and 90s. What was on your mind, Roosevelt? And thank you for hanging on. Yeah, I wanted to start with Rush. Yes. And to me, I know I've said this in the past, but to me, that's when all this thing started going downhill as far as the country. Uh, Because uh, they made a pact, they made a deal between Reagan, Rush, uh, Rush and Baby Bush, Rush and Old Man Bush, and to be specific, Rush and Trump. Because remember that Trump gave him a medal. What medal was that? I don't remember. I haven't, I haven't had a chance to 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 look it up. But he gave him a medal, and that's my question. And I've said this in the past. What was so wonderful that Rush did for this country that he deserved a medal? You see what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh- so, no, I mean, you're, I mean, I, for, for them, he, you know, for conservatives, he certainly uh, helped manipulate emotions, uh, spread fear mongering. Exactly. Yep, go ahead. And, and, and manipulate politics because yep. uh, because if you remember correctly, and I do, remember the Gang of Eight and the one that was setting the Gang of Eight with Marco Rubio for Democrats for Republicans, and to be specific, one from here. Um, Oh, now I can't think of his name. Uh, Our senator, um, Durbin. Durbin. So they let the Republicans grab a hold of the reins as far as the Gang of Eight, so there would be comprehensive immigration reform, and the guy that busted it was Rush because he started criticizing, and Rubio backed off. So nothing was done. That was the closest we ever came, in my opinion, to doing something about bipartisanship and making an attempt to um, have immigration reform. Now, I want to jump from that to people you guys didn't mention. You were talking about all these other guys like Rush, and you're forgetting one from our local city, Chicago. Man, Kyle Muller, do you remember when he said that waterboarding wasn't uh, torture and he submitted himself voluntarily to do waterboarding, and the guy didn't even last, I don't think, nine seconds. It's on YouTube. I'm pretty sure there's a there's a video of it. I'm not sure if it's on YouTube. Yeah, no, I, I remember. I remember when he was on, uh, yeah, he only lasted like seven or eight seconds. Uh, yeah, that's it. Hey, look, as, yeah. as somebody who has been, you know, I realized this the other day, I've been a broadcaster for 10 years, and uh, this, was, this was not my, and it was funny, when I tried walking out of my last station when I reported sexual harassment and abuse, this was not my intention. Like, I, I look, I can talk about uh, topics. I, I get very passionate about things. It was advocacy in Springfield that led me to a microphone, really, uh, that got some folks' attention. And uh, But I had been a guest on Man Cow's show. They had actually auditioned me to be his co-host, his uh, sidekick, which he never really... That would happen. They would always like bring in a girl and try to have uh, you know someone who would be kind of snarky or funny to have someone... To, but he, he had no interest in sharing any limelight. And it was very hard for me to do those shows. And not only that, he had people he surrounded himself with that were deniers of things like uh, whether it was the Holocaust, uh, 9-11, and in particular, what what made me finally say no to being on his show ever again was he had people who denied the shooting at Sandy Hook. 
that it was all crisis actors. And it was just the most disgust. You know, people ask, like, how, how do people like this get away with it? Because we see where, the you know, if you're in show business, if you're a broadcaster or trying to get in or trying to have, you know, find a platform, these are the ones that are often the only ones that are available to us. So when my publicist would be like, hey, we go do Man Cow. It was it was hard. It was hard to do. But my publicist said, if you don't say yes to this, it's hard for me to get you on other shows. It's 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 brutal, really. Um, but you're absolutely right. I, I but he's rewarded for spreading lies, for hate speech, for fear mongering. And then when I do something, it's like like I I know Lady B just popped her head up. I mean the things that I was that I did that that brought the hammer down. It was it's it's astounding to me, really. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and I would from time to time. The reason why I know about Mancow is he had his uh, early in the morning drive uh, show in the morning uh, that uh, I would hear him from time to time. I couldn't, I couldn't take it. I couldn't take it. So I would listen from time to time. And you're absolutely right. He's a very right wing uh, uh, individual. Um, but back to uh, the, the the jocks. Shock jocks. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't know if you can uh, categorize this guy as the shock uh, jock, but Dennis Miller, he even had his show on TV for a time and he was canceled. Dennis Miller used used, uh, the comedy, so-called intelligent comedy, to to put down Democrats. And he was also uh, uh, dividing people, in my opinion. And that's that's one thing, Patty, that they all have in common. Starting with Rush, Rush, uh, Mancow, and Dennis Miller. So that's what they have in common. And very right wing and deniers of what we see and what what we witness on TV, on reporting, as far as um, the Democrats. And also, I wanted to say that, uh, again, Again, they get rewarded, such as Rush getting the medal. I, I was going to try to look for it, but I didn't. It, it was the uh, medal. It's a, it's the Medal of Freedom, by the way, and uh, and usually, so he was awarded the Presidential Medal of Freedom. The Presidential Medal of Freedom is the nation's highest civilian honor presented to individuals who have made exemplary contributions to the prosperity, values, or security of the United States world peace, or other significant societal, public, or private endeavors. So I guess their definition of it would be he made significant societal endeavors because he he certainly helped shape a part of our society which was incredibly galvanized in, in, in terms of us versus them. And all the things that you're talking about, you know, when people, I remember when I was at another station where they, it skews a little more conservative, you know, they would, I don't know what it is that I say that people think is hateful. When I'm, you know, I had someone call in one day when I was advocating for the budget to include services and payment to providers who help individuals with disabilities, uh, senior citizens, people who don't have enough food. And uh, this guy called up one night, and I'll never forget it. I can't remember who was in the studio. I want to think, I want to say it was Representative Steve Anderson. Anderson. And this guy was like, why do I got to pay for the autistic kids? Right. Like that was just just came out. I mean, and, and that like that's we think that people they'll say things. Of course, we want to help disabled children. Of course, we want to help senior citizens. And this guy came out and said the part out loud. Why do I got to? Right. Well, why do we got to do anything? Why? Why are we? Why are we part of this society? You know, it's it's when you do things that affect them directly. Well, wait a minute. I, I need the fire department to be able to come up with my house out. Oh, I need the roads to be paved. I got it. Well, why do we got to? Why, why do we got to do any of it? Right. Right, exactly. 
And and to be so you know more about me as far as radio. I go way back. I'm an original ex-starter. And Lynn Bramer, sorry to hear about Lynn Bramer. I met the man. Went to uh, he used to host the um, the Cubs uh, opening day downtown, and he would have all that. So that's how far back I go. I go back to 1972 when XRT first started, <clears throat> and uh, Terry Hammer, Lynn Bramer, and, and and things. So thinking back, also you got to remember that recently in the 80s and 90s, specifically in the 90s. I don't know if you ever had the chance or the opportunity to hear Michael Savage. That guy is horrible. I mean, oh. capital H, horrible. <laughs> and his real name is Wiener, but he changed it to Michael Savage. Uh, but 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 the guy is horrible. And all his little disciples, like, uh, what's the other guy? Uh, the guy with the beard. He's, I think he's still on, and he's on uh, the station up at our dial, up your, your, your number, 820, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. So there's a whole bunch of them. And now you got other guys that are younger and still is the same platform as the same type of hatred that Rush Limbaugh. Remember Rush Limbaugh about that uh, that young lady from college? I can't get that out of my mind. With the birth control? Calling her a whore? How much much birth control do you need? Right? Exactly. It was, yeah. And you had... And, and you had the right winger saying, I'm not paying for the pill. I'm not paying for birth control. I'm not, you know, he riled them up. That's my point. He would rile them up. Remember Michael J. Fox? He made fun of his, his condition. Another thing. He yes. And who does that remind you of? Trump. Exactly. All these little pieces, and he put them together. And he stirred up the country, divided the country, and he started with the Mexicans, and he continued while he was in office for four years. So I'm going to leave it at that. And... I don't know. I know. Look, I uh, it's so funny because I was considered, you know, kind of uh, and I I went into my last radio show when they asked me to come in. I was thinking about this today as I was listening to this incredible uh, piece that they played. uh, Lynn Bramer talking about, you know, how, you know, what does it take to be Lynn Bramer? You know, and he was talking about his childhood and the steps along the way and, you know, having to leave one. Uh, radio job for another, and, and what was that going to be like? And and I and I was thinking, I mean, because people have asked me, how do you get into radio? And for me, like I was sitting at a, I was at the Billy Goat, the the old oh, school really? Billy Goat on Hubbard, yeah. And I was sitting yeah. there talking to a Tribune reporter, and uh, she'd done a piece on me, and uh, I got I got an email from Bill White who said, hey, would you be interested? In coming in and uh, talking to me about possibly filling in once in a while as a host, I had written an essay called F. Jenny McCarthy, um, because Jenny McCarthy makes a lot of money speaking at events uh, where they hawk cures, quote unquote, cures for autism. There is no there's no cure, you know, chelation of the blood, which is like removing minerals or hyperbaric oxygen chambers or there are things you can do that maybe maybe help you manage and find an individual's potential and help them, you know, help everyone navigate the world of autism. But what pushed me into it, I had stayed out of these arguments. She's a you know, they're anti-vaxxer and I'd stayed out of those arguments because I have friends in the community who really do believe and I don't want to argue with people who are looking for answers at the time this is over a decade ago but she would tell people to go F themselves 
right? Because if they would come to her and say, I'm sorry about your son, she would say that there are moms who like having their kids have autism or be sick. And they like people feeling sorry for them. They like people coming over and bringing them pot roasts. And they like people who go shopping for, like, basically painting moms who are fighting for their children's very existence with this really, I felt, uh, negative brush. And so I wrote this essay. And they, they said, and it was so funny because the word in the essay is essentially what I got fired for, even though I wasn't the one that said it. <laughs> Believe it or not, I've never used that word. But I went after a listener who was texting really nasty, horrible things. And the station decided that I was sounding too snarky with somebody who was telling me, why don't you go suck the brains out of an unborn fetus? You know, and calling me a baby killer, calling me all kinds of names. And I defended myself, and they uh, they used the F-bomb, which was said by a guest on my show, not me. They were reading that text screen during a news break, and you know once in a while you've heard me leave a mic open here, just I, I did an hour ago. And they actually have footage of me. Uh, they have footage of my, my literally, uh, Lady B, my headphones fell off the microphone as I was running out of the studio because I suspected that the text, this is like how crazy it was at this last station. I was pretty sure it was coming from inside the station because we had tracked some, like the madness of how women are treated in this industry is insane. But because I stood up for myself, because I pushed back on hatred and I sound snarky when I do it, that's what I got fired for. And to your point about the things that Rush and Man Cow and all these guys do, the way they treat producers. I've told Lady B, I've been accused of... Um, of being uh, condescending and dismissive. My producers, uh, that was with the, and it was all men, all of whom wanted to have radio jobs on the air. All of them, you know, had podcasts and and one of them hosts a show now. All the different things that I weathered for over eight years. uh, It just cracks me up when I see what other, and not just like the ones we're talking about, Rush and Mancow. I know hosts from that station that would throw things at producers. I would hear them say the nastiest things to their producers. So I, I, you know, and, and I also will tell you that the people that run that station are one of them is a, a very close friend of Donald Trump's. So I was, I was making some good trouble over there, Roosevelt. That's all I can yeah. say. No, but here's the thing. I want to make a comment too. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm taking a lot of your time. I'm sorry. I know. I was but, talking there a lot. That was me. <laughs> okay. This, this station, as far as I'm concerned, this is my opinion, fits you like a glove. Because <laughs> No, I mean, I agree. the purpose of the station is like a perfect fit because you can tell it in your voice and how you de- your delivery. You know, it's, it's like you feel at ease, you feel freedom. Back to what the point that you made earlier about what is it about, you know, standing up for this and standing up for what do they hate? The, the problem, that, as far as I'm concerned, in my opinion again, is they hate the message that you're delivering. They want to shut you down. Hence, I, I got to go back. Hence, the people that used to call your show, John Cecito's show, it, they don't want you to exist. The exactly. Hatred is, yep. The hatred, the hatred is not your delivery. Not only your delivery, the hatred is for you, too. They don't want you to say anything. They want to shut you down. Yep. That's the point. That's the point. That's why... There's, that's why they're so extreme and 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 they're so um, dismissive when it comes. And I, I mentioned that word, too. So yep. that's just me, my observation. And they don't want you to exist, especially on the station. By the way, speaking of that station, I see the writing on the wall when they let go of one particular guy that I love, uh, Nick DiGiulio. 
And my man, I love that guy. He, I used to be on late at night. Once they let go of him, him, I said, hey, that's it. It's going to go crazy. So that's what happened. Yeah. And, 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 and you're out of place, girl. <laughs> you're out of place. I know. Nick used to come down. Uh, we stopped doing crosstalk because it was because he was like, why are you going to Springfield? It's not going to change anything. And I, I disagreed. But it was but, I, you know, he I was even one example. There was a do you remember when they had these horse statues up and down Michigan Avenue? Oh, they yeah, were. Yeah. So in front of the, st- the studio, people would climb up on that horse. And one, these are these were tributes to fallen police officers. So it was just weird and disrespectful to me. Right. It would be like climbing on a monument in a cemetery like anywhere else right but also i i'm still a lifeguard at heart i'm like you're gonna get hurt get off of that horse and nick used to tease me i just i get very emotionally involved in the things that that, that go on in the world and that includes whether it's someone climbing on a statue or you know withholding services from people who rely on them and so i just uh yeah i i can't i'm like a dog with a bone i won't let go of something yeah. And, you know, and, and I don't know, as long as this continues, the division in this country is going to continue. Because look at Sinclair. I've been following all this stuff over the past 40, 50 years, how it's, how it's developed for the worst for this country. Because there's nothing but division and there's nothing but hatred. And, it, and it's blossomed into all these shootings. Look at look at what look what happened in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Thanks to Trump, we have a copycat that yeah. said the things that Trump did, which is led to violence. And used the same words. And by the way, I think he was on the uh, in the uh, prison at the in the insurrection that that was held uh, when Trump was there. I th- I'm pretty sure he was there too. This guy Fania from Albuquerque and. It, 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 it just gets worse and worse from that side. Sinclair and and all these stations, so-called uh, religious stations, on TV or on radio, evangelists to be specific. Yep. So that's pretty much it. Well, we're going to keep know, uh, we're, we're going to keep the conversation going, and, and we're working on finding new ways to expand uh, our our you know our. Uh, our visibility. I, you, we need to tell people that we're here and we're having these conversations oh, yeah. uh, and we need support from f- conversations like this, okay. from sponsors, uh, from when we go to events. That's why I'm excited that we're doing this event on. And you got your tickets, right, for Thursday, Roosevelt? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I'm taking one of my sons. Awesome. Uh, by the way, by the way, to be to go back to the radio, I believe that uh, Eva Longoria, mm-hmm. the actress, mm-hmm. she bought like 20 to 22 stations I don't know uh, what they're going to have on their format, but I'm pretty sure they're not going to have that right-wing crazy stuff. I will, come, I, will, I will find out. We'll, we will send her some info and see if she yeah. wants to syndicate. <laughs> Somebody else, yeah. Excellent. So that's it. All right. I got to run. I got to run, Roosevelt. Thank Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, by the way, that was also partly me reminiscing about uh, my my radio history. Uh, the uh, uh, the unintended path I'm on, and uh, and I absolutely love it. I could I wouldn't want to be anywhere else. Let's take a break here. Seven seven three seven six three nine two seven eight is the number to call and join our conversation. Let's take caller number three for a pair of tickets to see the to join us for the mayoral forum this Thursday. The door is open at ten thirty. Lunch is going to be served at eleven, and the forum kicks off at noon. We are going to have two panels. We're going to split the groups up into two teams of uh, candidates, and it will be me, Santita Jackson, and Jonas Bazito. And uh, as we've said, if you have any questions, you can text them right now if you have any questions you want me to try to get in there because we've been having meetings every day. 
to try to decide what to ask the folks that want to lead the city of Chicago. More in a moment on Heartland Signal. This is WCPT 820, where facts matter. You want facts to matter? Want to hear some truth? Get your lazy ass down to the voting booth and vote! As uh, we spoke, as you mentioned earlier, uh, absentee voting, uh, applications for absentee voting has started in Chicago and early voting starts this week. Uh, Just want to remind folks, get out and vote. I'm trying to figure out ways to make sure that people get energized about this election. But there's so much going on. Jim, what's on your mind, my friend? Hi, Gary. President Roosevelt had it right on the nose. When I was uh, working, my nephew and a couple of younger guys would have the radio on. And I listened to one sentence. And I, they said, I said, who is that, Garanis? Oh, it's Mancow. I said, if that's, if that radio goes on when I come in there, you're all getting blamed. <laughs> that radio was off every time I walked into that room because all I did, all I did was one sentence. That was enough for me. I mean, the same with Limbaugh. I, I worked with a poor guy that listened to Limbaugh, and if he was really into it, I had to leave the room. I, I couldn't listen to a word that he said. But that's radio. And, and Hartland said that seven times, that in his beginning of his career, he would have made millions if he would have went along with the gag and became a Republican radio host. Yeah. You know, if, if he just would have gave up his morals and went for the dough. Well, you know, that, and it's obvious. It's, look, it's obvious. I've told, this, I've told this story over and over again. I remember when, I, again, at the last station I was at, WGN, I had, uh, I had interviewed gov- then just, you know, a candidate, J.B. Pritzker. He came in and I interviewed him during the day because my show was on overnights and we had a great conversation. And uh, and then I had him in again, and later I was filling in for the afternoon host, and he walked in. He goes, how do we make sure that you're on during the day? You've got a great show. And I go, by a radio station. <laughs> it's like, by WGN. What I, because this is the thing, is like, the conservatives have bought up so many radio stations and have really monopolized it. We need, we need more progressives, liberals, people in business to go, you know what? Unions are good for our country and for our companies. Union, the workers are the most important aspect of our country. Go ahead. It, it really gets, I mean, it gets wild because I got up that radio during the pandemic. But now I flip through it, and I mean, you've got uh, just uh, insane people on the radio. With any kind of a theory, the more the crazier the theory, the better. But I was going to say about shooting, you know, I was thinking about how many westerns I watched as a kid. I watched uh, Gunsmoke, uh, you name it. Uh, we watched Westerns morning, noon, and night, and everybody got shot, or somebody got shot. If they didn't shoot eight people, it wasn't a good Western. Then you got Clint Eastwood, the good, the bad, the ugly. It was probably pretty good, but he shot about 50 people in those. And uh, then my two nephews, real quick, I'm babysitting for one day, and they're playing uh, some video game called... Uh, uh, they're stealing cars. They're two little kids. He's eight years old and nine years old. And I got a baseball. And they, they want to play baseball. No, we're playing uh, uh, whatever the game was. Grand Theft Auto was it? And I go. I look at the game. And I look at these kids. And I'm like, how in the heck could they be hooked on this thing? You know, the guy pulls out a gun. He shoots a guy. Steals a car. Shoots a guy. Steals a car. Not that this is. I don't. You know, I can't say it's contributing to the insanity, because the reality is, if this. Poor guy, that seventy-two-year-old lunatic that did this. If he couldn't get his hands on the apparatus itself, 
which they know in Australia and everywhere else. In the right. World. If you can't if you can't get your hands on something like that, you can't kill a lot of people real famous. Right. Yeah, oh, they'll and always they'll always send you articles yeah. where that someone was you know somebody had a knife and thing, but it's not the same as children being sliced in half in their classroom so that they're unidentifiable at the coroner's office. It's not the and same we're, thing. We're, and we're bailing here in Illinois. Uh, I think that our two representatives are terrific, and Fisker is terrific, and they're saying to them, uh, one of the sheriffs, I think it's in DuPage. He's like, oh, I'm not going to force that. That's against the second limit. But, right. uh, but they were really mad about it, and they should be. Sean Caston, I think it is, and uh, and somebody else. But they were terrific, because that's what they got to get after. they got to get rid of these high-magazine guns, and that's all that's to it, because uh, there's too many goofy people walking around. When they say motive, God only knows what a motive is. Did they ever find out what the motive was of the, the biggest shooter? He, he had the, the only motive he had was to kill as many people as he possibly could. If he would have had an apparatus, he would have killed more. So if, so if you're going to just sign a motive to that, I, I don't know how you could have signed a motive to that. Uh, so when they say motive... Motive is ridiculous in those cases because they want to kill as many people as they possibly can, as fast as they possibly can. Right. You know, Patty. Anyway, thanks okay. for my call. I was just thinking, I was just thinking about Westerns. You know, how many people get shot? You know, I was watching a couple of Westerns the other night. You go, boom, 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 boom. Anyway, you take care, Patty. Thank you. Yep. Thanks so much, Jim. Uh, let's take a break here. We'll come back with your calls and text 773-763-9278. And I want to know why Tucker Carlson hates capitalism so much. People can do whatever they want with their companies, including having a purple m M&M. and I'm just saying. That's it. What? I can't believe that. Oh, right. Let's talk about that when we come back. 773-763-WCPT is the number to call and join our conversation. We've got another pair of tickets to give away to the mayoral forum. Let's take the second caller for a pair of tickets to join us on Thursday at the Morningstar Auditorium. We'd love to have you there. 773-763-9278 is the number to call and pick up a pair of tickets. Caller number two. More in a moment. You're listening to WCPT 820 because facts matter. Hi, this is Kirk Bankstead from the Minocqua Brewing Company, and I sell progressive beer like AOC IPA and Bernie Brew, a lovingly irascible Democratic Socialist lager. A percentage of the proceeds of every beer I sell goes to helping keep Wisconsin blue and driving the Trump cult out of our state. Enjoy a great craft beer and help your dysfunctional neighbor to the north get its democracy back. Now available at Arminetti Wine and Spirits in Woodstock, Illinois, and Famous Liquors in Lombard, as well as in Chicago at A&S Wine and Spirits, Back of the Yards, and Grand and Western Liquors, Ukrainian Village. Please drink responsibly. Patty Vasquez is taking your calls now at 773-763-9278. Driving it home with Patty Vasquez now on WCPT 820. So uh, in the background over the last couple weeks, I've heard some whining from Tucker Carlson about M&Ms and other conservative talk show hosts that that, uh, M&Ms is now woke and they've got a green M&M that's possibly lesbian and all... Why do they hate capitalism so much? Do they know that the candy company, Mars, they get to do whatever they want with their products? This always this cracks me up whenever there's like a, a new cast, like Ghostbusters came out and everyone's like, oh, they're ruining my childhood. Well, 
maybe your childhood wasn't that great to begin with if it all rests on the fact that Dan Aykroyd and Bill Murray and uh, Rick Moranis were running around being goofy. It's a movie, and the artists get to write the movie any way they want. Look, we can go round and round with George Lucas and his remastering of Star Wars and the fact, uh, by the way, Han Solo shot first. I don't care how many ways you edit that. But you know what? It's still George Lucas's toy to do what he wants with it. They own that. Mars Candy can do what they want. Why do conservatives hate capitalism? Right? I mean, like, if Mars says, hey, you know what we should do? You know what we want direction we want to go in for marketing? We want to have a pro-woman. We want to to celebrate women flipping the the narrative and all like that's what it was supposed to be. And uh, Tucker Carlson's whiny because he has to have his testicles sunned on top of a rock with a solar panel. I don't know what's going on. Uh, But really, the M&Ms are going to send you off the deep end. And then, look, and and again, if Mars wants to, they, they got pressure and phone calls. Maybe they got threats. I don't know. So here's a statement from Mars Candy Company. America, let's talk. In the last year, we've made some changes to our beloved spokes candy. So they had they had a line of spokes candies. We weren't sure if anyone would even notice. And we definitely didn't think it would break the Internet. But now we get it. Even a candy candy's shoes can be polarizing, which was the last thing M&Ms wanted since we are all about bringing people together. Therefore, we've decided to take an indefinite pause from the spokes candies in their place. We are proud to introduce a spokesperson America can agree can agree on the beloved Maya Rudolph. We are confident Miss Rudolph will champion the power of fun to create a world where everyone feels they belong. I mean, like, what's I don't they were upset about the shoes that M&Ms were wearing. And it's a, it, it, they were we bad years ago about the sexualization of M&Ms. It's like, why are they so obsessed with sex? What is going on and, and for for centuries? Men have been dressing up as women. Women have been dressing up as men. We all of this, you know, everything that we do, this is all we're making it up as we go along. Right. And people are not coming for your kids. They're not drinking the blood of infants in order to stay younger. You guys are overreacting and you're nuts and now you're mad about a purple M&M. What the... F- Don't say that word. Don't. Hey, Dave, what's on your mind? Hey, Patty. Yeah, you're talking um, um, some of the, like, with those, those hate. <laughs> Actually, it was uh, Lee Atwater who was the father of all of those uh, purveyors of poison. He begat the Carl Rose and the Rush Limbaugh <laughs> stuff. And uh, he, in fact... I think he was Bush, the first uh, press aide or uh, campaign manager or whatever, and he's the one that smeared Dukakis, and you know, like with the Willie Horton ads and all of that stuff. And but uh, then he got brain cancer, mm. and when he was dying, he had be- he had begged after begged for forgiveness from Dukakis. Interesting. So, yeah. Well, Rush Limbaugh did not was, uh, did not have the same. Was. Rush, Rush Limbaugh, in, remember when he came came out and it, we found out how much of an addict he was and he had spent all this time sh- painting communities as being drug addicts and uh, welfare oh, queens? Yeah, he wanted to put in prison and time yes. that his uh, uh, housekeeper or whatever went and got the 2,000 uh, Oxycontin for him at, yeah. in Mexico or whatever. And then suddenly, in fact, I think, isn't that uh, what blew out his ears? 
Oh, uh, yeah. Is well, that, I guess that's the side effect of it, of well, addiction to it. Well, that was what I, you know, that was when I said, because I was younger, and I was like, oh, they don't care that he's a hypocrite. Like, I, I always thought when you would hold up what someone had said previously and everything that they actually stood for or were actually doing was in complete contrast to that people would go, oh, well, they're just a, a con artist. And But people don't care. They don't, whether it's because they don't want to admit that they were conned or they don't want to admit that they were wrong or whatever it is, they'll cling to that. As, that that hero of theirs is over bloated uh, hero who just spouts hatred. I don't I don't get it. And and please, by the way, it, people would call me when I was at the other station and say that I was hateful. And I'm like, tell me what I said that was hateful. It's because I'm in contrast to their ideas and opinions that makes me sound hateful, not the the actual things that I'm saying. It's just my tone, I guess. And then if you you recall too, I mean, even before the, these uh, lemmings followed Trump. And when they followed him, remember they were ditto heads. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. They were they were, were stepford wives of his, you know. And whatever he said, it was like uh, Jesus had said it on the Sermon on the Mount or something. I mean, they they were fanatics back way back then already. Well, so, uh, and and like uh, Tim Hogan was saying in the last hour, they would get their their talking points, and you could hear that over and over and over. I remember when I was, again, I was at the other station, and people would call in and accuse me of having an agenda, and I would, because we were live streaming there like we are here, but you guys are much, it's so funny because like nobody knew about it here. I love that it's so accessible for everyone, but I would I would laugh and like look all around the studio trying to find my, hey, you guys, I can't find my agenda. Where's my talking points? I can't find, because I, I remember I was auditioning for another station one time and they were like so how much of your show is scripted i was like are we supposed to have a script i don't have a script <laughs> and you, you you've had a caller before too uh, i've heard him later on years later into dick k show and uh he but he mentioned that he used to listen to jake hartford well i mean when he used to first call up uh dick show and he had a little bit of a pink blush to his stuff and then he should have known that jake hartford had was at WCPT for a short uh, cup of coffee that time because that then station manager liked him and everybody, why are you hiring this guy for? Because, I mean, <laughs> you couldn't have turned the car any harder right than that guy. So, yep. but, uh, um, and then with uh, Dennis Miller, he was kind of, for a while, middle of the road until Bush gave him a ride on Air Force One, then that was it. Pull out all the stops. He went hard right after that. Mm. So, but then, and on the Presidential Medal of Freedom, if you recall right, besides Limbaugh, he also gave him the Jim Jordan. Yeah, was that you that texted me? Someone texted that as well. Yeah, I yeah. meant to, yeah. I'm the, I'm the mystery texter <laughs> from the Air Force Oh, you know what? Now I'm going to enter you in the system. Now I'll know it's you. <laughs> oh, oh, oh. <laughs> I should have kept my mouth shut when I was ahead. <laughs> But and one last thing, so you get to somebody else. I was reading when you were talking about the weapons stuff earlier. That I was reading a story about the with a Marine Corps unit that had made headlines in 2019 after two of its rifles were missing, still haven't gotten them, and has lost another weapon. This one being an M18 Sig Sauer pistol, and, and something that says since the 2010s, 204 Marines. Firearms were lost or stolen. Wow, really? And of these, yes. And of these, only 14 were later recovered, and some of those stolen military guns ended up being used in street crime. Mm. So, you know, I don't understand. And 
whatever happened if you couldn't account for your yeah. weapon. I mean, it was a fate worse than death. That's crazy. Yeah. I, I guess the core has gotten soft. Because, <laughs> I mean, there, there's a serial number assigned to you, and you don't come up with this this gun? Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. The Marines, the few must mean for the few weapons that they've been finding that are lost. I don't know, but uh, I was shocked when I read that. That yeah, that's there's still like what, about 180 some. That's unsettling to say the least. Automatics and yeah. whatever. Because one time I seen a thing they had, you know, M79s and you know even Jeez. like mortars or something. You know, it's like but mainly you know automatics and stuff that and pistols and automatics that. Well, we had we had three active duty Marines that were arrested for uh, being in uh, part of January sixth. Yeah, yeah, yep. Wow. And, and well, you know my feeling on that one. All of these active ones, they should be busted down and dishonorably discharged, and that so they do not get their benefits. Any benefits? But, yeah. And if any of them are veterans that already have done served and were there, take away their benefits. Yeah, I agree. I agree. We'll they, see what happens. They, they didn't want this government, like I said before. They they were they yeah. were wanting to get break away. So exactly. Congratulations. You play stupid games, win stupid prizes. I got I got to run yep. to another caller, Dave. Yep, I know. Like, all right, great talk to you, Patty. Great talking to you too. Take care. And Kenneth and Lombard. Hey, Kenneth, what's on your mind? Uh oh, Kenneth put the phone down. He's like, oh boy, Dave's not going to come. Am I just listening to myself now in the background? <laughs> All right. Kenneth, I'll try coming back to you in just a moment. Let me uh, take a break there. Um, I do want to talk about this uh, this M&M's thing because it led me down a little bit of a rabbit hole about how conservatives shop versus how lib- – there's actually an article. There's been studies about how conservatives shop differently, and they tend to differentiate themselves according to this study uh, by Harvard, Harvard Business Review. They uh, they differentiate themselves through products that show that they are better than others. And this is something that comes up is is sort of the status thing. And, and whether it's, you know, having bigger cars, uh, having bigger houses, you know, using up all the resources you possibly can. And in contrast, liberals tend to differentiate themselves through products that show that they are unique from others, choosing products with unconventional designs or colors. Uh, yeah, I mean, I guess. Well, that's the thing, too, right? To be, oh, no, we lost Kenneth altogether. Ken, I was trying to take your call. So if you want to join us, I don't know. If, is, that, uh, is that good Ken or scary Ken? <laughs> it's good Ken. <laughs> Just checking. But, yes, I, by the way, I still am wheezing a little bit. This happens. This has happened my entire life where if I catch a cold and it gets into my respiratory system, I uh, struggle a little bit. Uh, towards the end of it. It will come back. I promise. I've I've been through this before. I remember when I was running in 2020, I had this, uh, I would, because of the cold, especially the cold kind of aggravates it. Now that it's colder today, it's irritating my uh, my lungs again. So I'll be fine. I just, I feel bad because I'm supposed to record a bunch of stuff and I'm like, I don't like the way I sound right now. Um, but I'm, I'm getting better. Uh, all is good. I'm feeling better. It's just this last little part that I'm trying to uh, to overcome. Anyway, I was talking about the differences between how uh, liberals shop and conservatives shop. And it, yeah, would I be, I mean, I'm going to be honest with you about M&Ms. I love M&Ms anyway. I just, I know they're not great for you. Uh, I don't have any particular favorite colors. No, when we were younger, what did we say about the green ones? Does anyone know? 773, I have another pair of tickets to give away. Well, I don't know if you want to say that word, but uh, you can use a different word. 
uh, for with why the green ones were people always joked about uh, wanting the green M and M's seven seven three seven six three nine two seven eight. I mean, if the if the Tucker Carlson's and the uh, the other conservative. Uh, Yellers want to get mad about M and M's. I mean, we've been talking about we've been talking about sexualizing M and M's for a long time because you just sometimes you get silly. And Mars, the Mars Candy Company, wanted to do something different. They wanted to take the opportunity of using their platform to celebrate women. And man, oh man, did people lose their ever loving mind? I don't get this. Um, just this angle of of just sheer disdain and hostility. You have to belittle others. I don't know if you saw Jim Brewer. Was doing a, a like a one of these tent revival things for some far right conservative pastor, and he he made fun of the football player who collapsed, mocked him on stage, basically saying that it was the vaccine. The vaccine, and th- we're seeing a whole new slew of people out there sharing these videos, having the shakes. But conveniently, only their feet, and they can still walk, and they can. But the, it's not. It, it's and I and I'm uncomfortable drawing attention to it or mocking it on Twitter or going after it. But I am watching it. This, oh my goodness! Someone's calling me. I should probably hang up on that one. Um, anyway, it's a, it, this new. Their new big thing is died suddenly or collapsed mysteriously, and they're going after all like like nobody died before the vaccine, and that people aren't actually dying of COVID. It's just getting frustrating. What did you want? Hey, Ken, did we get you back? What's on your mind, my friend? Oh, this is Ken. And Mom, hey, Ken. Yeah. Hey, how you doing? Good, good. Uh, you had an earlier caller who, you know, said something about um, how ridiculous it was to be all this talk about the motive of the shooter. Oh, right. And, uh, and I, you know, I agree with that. That's the kind of thing that you get caught up with, and it seems to make sense. Like when you're listening to NPR, which I do a lot when I'm not listening to CPT, but uh, then I realize, you know, they're just like keeping our mind off what we should be thinking about. At any rate, the point is, when you mentioned that you uh, said J.P. Pritzker, why don't you buy WGN, it made me think, well, is it too late? I mean, is the... Uh, well, we- it's, you know, it's interesting. Is I, I'm so glad that the people who run WCPT and own WCT, WCPT see the, the value in having progressive talk. And, you know, the thing about a station like WGN is how far it can reach 24-7, right? And, uh, and it's not, no, it's not too late. I don't, I mean, he, he I... Is there a group or, do you, do you or any of your listeners know of a group that's trying to put together investors to buy radio stations? Uh, I don't personally know. I know that there are people who've thought about it, you know, and the thing is, is understanding the way WCPT does is also the the digital aspect of it and being nimble like being the thing about this is that we can do so much because we're able to we, we can do live remotes we have the support of the station we're better digitally uh, we're engaged with listeners in a different way so um, I don't I'm not I don't know of any specific uh, groups that are looking to buy more radio. But uh, I know I've, I've suggested that there's, you know, there's a station. You know, I've heard that suggestion before, and, and uh, um, it, was, it was great to hear you say it directly to oh, yeah. during that story. Yeah. And, uh, and, and I'd love to see that happen, and, and, uh, because it's really, it is scary with all yeah. the right wing. So anyway, thank you. Thank uh, you, and tell everyone, tell everyone you know to listen to our station.
What's that? Tell everyone you know. Tune into WCPT. Oh, I do. I do. I appreciate that. Thank you so much, Ken. Okay. I'm glad. I'm glad you called back. It was great talking to you. All right. Thanks. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you. Let's take a break here. We'll come back and wrap up in just a moment on WCPT 820 Heartland Signal. We are driving it home till seven. Chicago's Progressive Talk, WCPT 820, where facts matter. Kirk Banks said from the Manaqua Brewing Company, and I sell Choice Hard Seltzer, an all-natural grapefruit-flavored booze that you can enjoy for only 100 calories a can. A percentage of the proceeds of every can of Choice Hard Seltzer you buy goes to reproductive rights organizations in the Chicagoland area. Enjoy a light, refreshing hard seltzer this summer and support reproductive freedom at the same time. Now available at Dino's Cardinal Liquors in Gurney, Illinois, and Sugar Beet Food Co-op in Oak Park, as well as in Chicago at Jarvis Square Tavern, Rogers Park, and Garfield's Beverage Express Wicker Park. Please drink responsibly. Street waiting on track nine. Every year when summer came around, I drop my bag, walk upstairs, find a window view on my own in Albuquerque bound. Of uh, Chris Jones and the Night Drivers with their song Riding the Chief. I uh, just haven't heard this song in a while and I just adore their music. I uh, want to thank everyone for hanging out with us. What a great conversation. And it just reminded me uh, talking about uh, some of the broadcasters uh, that we kind of mentioned. It was kind of funny because. We went down the path of all the conservative and hard right talk shows when we when we started the entire show talking about Lynn Bremer and uh, this tragic loss, uh, and not just for broadcasters or for people who enjoy the radio, but really for his family and friends hearing incredible stories about his life and his passion for music, for baseball, baseball for people, for food and drink in the city of Chicago. Um, it's it's heartbreaking, and I'm so grateful to have uh, had the pleasure of enjoying his work for most of my life and uh and i'm so grateful for the incredible stories and outpouring of love that we've had the uh opportunity to witness today and yesterday i wish you all the best evening mike crutes up next with devil's advocates and uh thank you so much lady being here everybody here at wcpt have a great night